Romans chapter number 12, one that we're, I'd say, almost all well-versed in. Maybe you have the couple of verses we'll read given to memory. <clears throat> but as sometimes familiarity leads to complacency and you read over verses and forget really what's there because you've read them so many times. I've been just meditating and thinking on this passage. So Lord willing, as God's spoken to me through it, he'll also speak to you tonight. If you found your place and able to stand with me, would you stand as we just read these couple verses here? Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. We read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here there's a simple outline and a simple command as far as understanding is concerned. Not always easy and simple to perform. But for those who desire to know the will of God, Paul gives us an illustration or a recipe wherein we might know and understand and receive it. And so may we just consider for a few minutes this, this idea of confirmation or rather transformation to the will of God. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we ask for your blessing upon the message. Lord, I pray that everything that's said would glorify you alone. May you, through the truths of Scripture, bring about a challenge and a change in our hearts tonight. May we leave here refreshed and encouraged and made more like you. Lord, for those who maybe are on the fence or have maybe just refused or forgotten the need to consider your plan and purpose for their lives, may we be renewed and refreshed in that matter as well. Do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You could be seated. We see three very just simple concepts from these two verses. We see this idea of a presentation. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says, this body that you've been given, by the way, you, won't, you only get one of them. As far as I know and understand, the life you live here on earth will only happen once. I've spoken to people on this idea that wouldn't it be kind of neat to go back and redo it and have a, at least a, an understanding of what you did wrong the first time or maybe what you did right the first time. I know some people, they say, no, I'd, I'd never want to go back and redo those years again. I said, I'd go back as long as I could change a few things, right? You maybe have those deja vu moments where you remember that car crash. And you say, I think I'll just stay home tonight um, or whatever it might be. And you could, you could redo it, but we can't redo it. This is it. And so he says, the body that you have, this, this one, because it's, you only get one go around at it, present it to God, Amen. offer it to him, not as a dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. 
I can remember many times where that question arose. Would you be willing to give your life for Christ? Would you die for him? So many times a unanimous cry would be a yay. Yes, we'll give our lives for him. Paul doesn't request you to die for Christ here. He says, I want you to live for him. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. So we see this presentation, but then we see a need for a transformation. He says in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. We'll look at this in a moment, but um, I think it was just said maybe from the pulpit this week or just recently, that word trans, uh, be transformed, that word transform is, uh, comes from that same word where if you think about a, um, a butterfly or a frog, that metamorphosis, it changes from one thing to another. There's a transformation. It goes in as a caterpillar, an ugly old worm, and comes out a beautiful flying butterfly. And he says, that's what I want for your life. I don't want you to just conform to something, but I want you to become something different. I want you to be something alive and something, something good and wholesome. And then we see the realization. He says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So often people are asking, what, what does God want for my life? What, what should I be doing? Maybe young people are asking, who should I marry? Or um, should I or where should I go to college? Or what career should I pursue? He gives us the recipe here. We present ourselves to God. We allow him to transform us into what he's desired for us to be. And in so doing, we begin to understand more perfectly, as he says it here, that perfect will of God. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's go and just look at a little bit of the context. You know the rule. When you see the therefore, you got to go back and see what it's there for. Look back in chapter number 11. And let me just read a few verses here. Um, look, look back in verse number 23. I'll, I'll scoot back a little bit further. Look at verse number 20. He says, well, because of unbelief, they, talking about the Jewish people, were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. But if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be natural branches be grafted into their own olive trees? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to the Israel unto the fullness until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And then look, let me just jump down in verse 
Number 34, it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? We sang a little bit about that just a moment ago. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, we're not going to spend a great deal of time studying this passage, though it's an interesting study. He says this olive tree had the nation of Israel among the branches, but due to their unbelief, their lack of faith, they were removed. And you, who were born out of a wild olive tree, you were just a wild tree. He says you've been grafted in. Probably most of us don't know much about grafting of plants. We're, we're too advanced for that, but we know a little bit about skin grafts, right? You, how surgeons can take a portion of skin and place it on another part of the body or maybe on someone else's body and allow that to be a part of their own skin. And he said in the same fashion, God took us Gentiles, as Brother Carpenter talked about Sunday night, he, those crumbs were thrown out to us. And he took us and though we were unworthy, we were not originally chosen, we were outside, he brought us in and he warns us he, there, he says, don't get high-minded because he didn't choose you because you were better. He chose you because you simply trusted. He chose you because you were willing, not because you were worthy. And then he, he concludes the chapter by saying, ultimately, God's the worthy one. He says, this, this is a, a little bit of a mystery. It's a unique thing that God would originally choose a people but allow you to enter in to their privileges. But then he concludes and says, For of him and through him and to him all are all things to whom be glory forever. He, he says God is worthy. God is good. God is gracious. God is all things. And then he says, therefore. Because of this, because you've been chosen or at least received, you've had the opportunity to, by his grace, come into the family of God. Because you've been delivered from your sin and you now have salvation and hope and security by faith in him. And because the one you put your faith in is worthy of all praise and all glory, he says, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. God is worthy of all things, including you. He's worthy of your life. In fact, that's exactly what the book of Revelation tells us. It says, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Isn't, isn't it shameful when you hear people, they can look at the stars and they see evolution. They can look at the sunrise and they might call it Mother Nature. They, they can look at all the beauties of, of the natural world and fail to give attention to their Creator. But isn't it more of a tragedy for a believer who's been grafted into the tree, who's been placed into the family of God, to miss out on allowing their lives to bring God glory? We're going to skip these two verses for just a moment. And consider what's to follow. In verse number 3, he says, For the, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man 
the measure of faith. He said, beware you don't become prideful. God has distributed something to you. But don't be high-minded in this fact. And, and, and look at just number four. He says, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members, one of another, having then gifts. We're not going to look at those gifts tonight for sake of time. But the matter of fact is, God has given all of us, he tells us here, he's given us all a measure of faith, and he's given us all gifts. The only exclusion of those with gifts are those with multiple gifts. All right, you tonight, where you sit, have a gift. Maybe you've never discovered it. Maybe you've failed to regard it. But if you're born again tonight... I believe that God has given you something to glorify him through and to be a blessing to others with. And he reminds us here, don't get excited if your gift is more prominent than the person's next to you. Because just like the body, and we've talked about this many times, this application has come up on, in multiple places in scripture. Just like the body has many members, they're all important. Some of them seem more important than others. But that's only until the other ones are feeling pain, right? You know, the pinky you don't think about unless you smash it with a hammer. And all of a sudden, that's the only thing you're concerned about. And aren't you glad I was thinking about this as I, as I was just considering this idea of members? Aren't you glad that God, I mean, God just placed our body so, so consistent and so, I guess, perfectly. Not necessarily how we look, right? It's not perfect. But the placement of things. Aren't you glad our arms are on the sides of us? Right? And not like just two on one side. Wouldn't that be weird? You know, our, our nose is right by our mouth. And our eyes to where when we smell something, we can use our eyes to be directed to it. I'm sure it helps with our taste. Aren't you glad your nose isn't on your hands? Mom's changing diapers, right? That would be, you think it, it's bad now. Imagine if your nose was down there around your hands. All right, but, but God just seemed to place everything right where it ought to be. And he says it's all important. And he said in the same fashion, God's placed you where you ought to be. If you're a part of Mount Zion Baptist Church, God's placed you in this body. He's given you a gift. And you ought to be using it, what, for his honor and his glory. Look down again a little further in this passage and I'm going to warn you and encourage you to focus because I know when people read scripture or anything, it's easy for your mind to wander. So I'm going to give you a challenge. As I read these next few verses, I'm not going to spend hardly any time talking about them for sake of time. But imagine for you that are single, you young people that are sooner or later going to get married. If you're going to pick a husband, ladies, imagine if he adheres to all of these verses I'm going to read. Guys, if you're going to pick a wife, imagine if she fits the picture of all of these things we're going to read. If you're already married, think about your spouse being this, or maybe think about you, what kind of a parent or a spouse you would be if you could follow all of these things. Or a pastor, or maybe the flock of a pastor. So focus, and we're just going to read these Verses starting in verse 9. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. And honor preferring one another. 
not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them with per which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. Verse 17 says, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, what, what a church we would have if this was a picture of all of its members. What families we would have if this was the, the attributes of all the moms and dads in this room, and especially all the teenagers and all the children. What a world this would be if this was more of the general population. But the reality, these are commands. This is something God has told us to do. You say, well, this is a lot. And this is just one passage, right? There, there's a few more that are similar to this, where it lists all these things, and you think in your mind, wow, I would like to be like that, but is that even possible? I don't know that God ever gives us commands that we can't fulfill. Not in our own flesh, of course, but with his help. You say, why'd you read all that? Here's why. He told us we're grafted in. He told us that God deserves all glory and all honor. And I think we'd all say that's true. He told us that we have gifts and we need to understand them and prove them in our lives and in the church. And then he gives us this list, this detailed list of behavior that we ought to be living that is contrary to our natural flesh and tendencies. So how do we do it? I think verse 1 and 2 gives the answer. He begins, and let's go back there and put our focus on there for just the next few minutes. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He says, I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. I'm pleading with you. Give yourself to God. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice to your Savior, to your Master, to your Lord. The Bible tells us that we've been bought with a price. We've been redeemed. What does that word redeem mean? It means to buy back. God created us and we strayed from him. And by his own blood, he bought us back and, and brought us back into his fold. He's worthy of our lives tonight. He's worthy of everything. And he says, by the mercies of God, I want you to present this. This isn't something that he's demanding of you because he's angry at you. It's not something he's trying to punish you with, like, well, it's, your life isn't important, so give it to me. No, he says, because God is merciful, because God is good, by the mercies of God, I want you to give yourselves to him. Paul was a man, if anybody knew what it was like to surrender his life to the Almighty, Paul knew what it was like. And he wasn't begging people because he was miserable. He was begging people because he knew the joy of 
that came with it. He knew the peace uh, of what it meant to, to let go of his own will and receive the will of God. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let me ask you something tonight. Have you personally ever genuinely given yourself to God? You say, well, I don't even know if I know what that means. Well, very simply, he says to present. What does it mean to present? If I present something to you, I show it to you, right? I put it up here on display. And if it's a sacrifice, it's not mine anymore, right? It's given. A sacrifice isn't something we hang on to. A sacrifice is something we let go of. A living sacrifice is the opposite of a dead sacrifice. And our bodies is us. Have you ever come genuinely to God and just simply by faith said, God, here I am. You know me inside and out. You know me better than I know myself. And you sure know me better than the rest of my family and my friends and the world knows me. You know my desires. You know my feelings. You know all that I am. You know my failures and my frailties. You know my weaknesses and whatever success I have. You know it. And all that I am, I'm giving to you. Now, this is more than just a, a, a few words or a speech that we give God. This is a state of mind or a, 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 a decision of the heart. And when you come to God, when you're ready to truly surrender to him, the words will kind of reflect how you feel inside. You could say all those words, but in the back of your mind think, well, really, I don't know that I want to give everything to God. God, I'll give you my all except this or that. I'll go anywhere as long as you don't tell me to go there. Right? I'll do anything as long as you don't want me to do this or that. I'll give you everything as long as I can keep these few things. But a true sacrifice says I'm giving all to you. We sing the song, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. And, you know, really, that's how a person comes to Christ for salvation. They don't have to give up anything. But in their heart, they come to God and say, I'm trusting you. Therefore, if I'm putting all my faith in one thing, I'm releasing my faith in everything else. When a person comes, often pride is the hindrance. Right? Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Why? Because he doesn't need God. He has wealth. He has prosperity. He has all of his needs filled. And what does he have to do? He's got to humble himself in the sight of God and realize all his things are insufficient for his eternal soul. And he chooses Christ. Some people are bound to religion. They're trusting in their baptism or their church membership or uh, maybe their, their parents' faith. And there's a requirement. Repentance says, I'm letting go of my faith in these things and I'm choosing Christ. Maybe it's a sin that, that, that there's a desire to hang on to, but when a person finally comes to themselves as the, the uh, prodigal son came and he, he decided, I'm going to go to the Father, I'm going to leave this lifestyle, I'm done with this. And there's a surrendering of those things and a choosing Christ. Real faith requires real repentance. 
But he's talking to believers here. And he says to believers, there ought to be a time in your life where you give God everything. And if you've never done that, tonight would be a great night for you to do that. I can't, I can't bring you to that place. That, that's a work that only God can do. And when he does, you'll understand it. But I don't believe that this is a one-time decision. Though I think there ought to be at least a one-time special decision a person makes. There ought to be something very significant about a single decision. But there's times where through our life we begin to take back ground. We begin to step back on things that we know were true and know, know were right. And here he says to believers that it may be giving God their all. He says there needs to be a presentation. I think it would be a wise decision for every believer every day to start your day out something like this. Lord, I want to give you myself today. I want to give you, and I've prayed this so many times. God, I want to give you these hands that I might live for you and do your will. I want to give you my mouth that I'd speak of things that are pleasing to you. I give you my eyes that I'd only look on things that are true and right and, and wholesome. I give you my mind. I say, Lord, help me to think on things that are right and pleasing to you. And my, I don't know about you, but my flesh is weak. And often I find myself even then struggling with things. So typically the next day I say the same thing. And I think it's important to express out loud even to God what maybe that we what the, the areas of our life that we want to become real. We just begin to talk to him about them. But he speaks of this presentation to God. Lord, here's my life. Here's my will. Here's my decisions. Here's my dreams. Here's my hopes, my ambitions. Here's everything. I lay it on the altar and I give it to you. But then he says in verse number two, and let, let me make just one mention here. In verse number one, the closing statements, he says, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. He says we're, we're pursuing holiness. And I know we're living in a day where people speak, you say, well, we're under grace, we're under grace, we're under grace. Read Hebrews chapter, what is it, chapter 12, where he talks about the, the mount that shook, and the people were fearful to approach it, but he said, now because of mercy, because of grace, you can come to the throne of grace, but you come holy. You come in the fear of the Lord. See, mercy and grace allows me, a sinful human creature, to pursue holiness. Without grace, I can't pursue holiness because I'm so flawed and my attempts to holiness, I fall short on. But because of grace, I can pursue holiness, and God's able to forgive my faults and forgive my weaknesses and draw me closer to himself. And by his blood and through his righteousness, I, as a sinful creature, find mercy. And then he says, it's your reasonable service. Listen, it's reasonable for you to give yourselves to God. It's reasonable. After all he's done, you say, what, what, what would encourage me to give my life to God? I think very simply, just 
Think about Christ, the Christ of the past who shed his blood on the cross. Go back to Matthew 27 and read that. And think about the agony and the pain and the miserable suffering that Jesus took all so you could be saved and you could be redeemed of your sin. Think about the life that he gives us in the present. The Christ of today intercedes for us. He intercedes for you. While Satan is there accusing me, Jesus is interceding on my behalf. He's in the, in the middle for me. He's representing me in heaven. And the Christ of the future is going to return. He's going to rule and reign. And he's going to take me with him. It's reasonable for me to give him my life. This world has done me nothing. Why would I want to give my life to this world? Satan has done me nothing. Why would I want to surrender my will to him? The flesh is just a pain to me. It's done me no good. Why would I want to give in to my flesh? God has given me everything and continues to. It's reasonable for me to give him my life. And then in verse number two, he says, and be not conformed to this world. Before this transformation occurs, he reminds us there's a need not to conform. What does it mean to conform? I, I immediately think of a clay or a Play-Doh. You could take Play-Doh and you could press it against something, like a water bottle. And you could make that Play-Doh look just like this water bottle. Does it become a water bottle? No, it's still Play-Doh, right? Thank you. It, it doesn't become a water bottle, but it looks like a water bottle. Why? Because it's conformed to the image of the water bottle. And he warns us and he says, don't conform your life to the world. He said, you're not of the world. I, I, I get a little bit irritated when Christians say, well, I'm just a carnal Christian. Well, maybe, but I don't want to be a carnal Christian. Listen, Christ covers me with his righteousness, with his blood. He's called us saints. He's called us part of the beloved. He calls us the, the children of God. He, he says all of these wonderful things about us, not for us to just conform our lives to something that's unholy. You're not of this world. Why are you acting like it? You're not of the, the ideas and the beliefs and the feelings and all that this world has to offer. So why is it that we're conforming our lives after it? He warns us and says, be not conformed to this world, but on the, as the alternative. And on the other hand, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, this word transformation or be transformed is like that word metamorphosis. You don't look at a butterfly and say, there's a caterpillar with wings, right? You don't look at a, a bullfrog and say, look at that tadpole with legs, right? It's become something else. Once it was a tadpole, now it's a frog. Once it was a caterpillar, now it's a butterfly. Paul says, this body that you bring to the, uh, the, the sacrificial altar, this is all you have, but it's flawed. It's filled with anger. It's filled with fears. It's filled with weakness. It's filled with all the actions and feelings of the flesh. And he says, by the renewing of your minds, I want you to transform who you are into something else. 
See, God wants to take you from a fearful individual to a courageous individual. God wants to take you from being weak, in, uh, 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 the weakness of the world under the power of God. He wants to take your, your voice, maybe that was given to the things of this world in weakness... And bring it under the submission and control of the Spirit unto power and unto hope and unto encouragement. He wants you to take who you are in the flesh and bring you to a place where you're changed, where you're different, where you're not like you used to be. Now ultimately, this is a work that the Holy Spirit does inside of us. Paul wrote and said, um, and let's just turn there because... I'm struggling to remember how it starts. 1 Corinthians. I think it's 1 Corinthians. Let me look at this first. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse number. Look at verse number 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10, nor, neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of ...of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of His power. He says, you're different. You used to be one thing, but now you're something else. And though the, the, the spiritual change that occurs at salvation is instantaneous, right? The Spirit of God enters into us and we're made alive. We're quickened, as he says in Ephesians 2. You've been quickened or you've been changed to become alive. But... There ought to be a transformation that continues all throughout our life. There ought to be a desire to become, become more like Christ in all of our ways and all of our attributes and all of our desires and all of our decisions. Paul, again, was the one that, that said, he said, I haven't, I haven't attained, I haven't, I haven't achieved what I want to be. He said, but I press toward the mark. I'm continually pursuing all that God has for me. And you say, well, how can I, how can this transformation come about in my life? Look at what he says here. But be transformed by or through the renewing of your mind. See, ultimately, there needs to be a change of mind for all of us. In Ephesians 4, 8, he Tells us all these things to think upon. Think upon that which is pure and holy and good and just and pure. And, and, and he goes on with this list and he warns us. And, and, and all through scripture we realize and understand that the battle is in the mind. The, the, the battlefield between good and evil is truly in the mind. We've all seen that little expression of... The angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other. And though obviously that's not the case, it almost is, right? There's this, there's this pressure, this feeling, the Spirit of God is, is troubling you. Maybe you sit in a service something like this and God is, is putting his finger on something in your life. Whatever it might be, maybe it's your lack of witness 
Maybe it's a, a form of entertainment that's drawn you, that, that, that you're struggling with. You know it isn't pleasing to him. Maybe it's a, something in your marriage or something as you rear your children, and you know it's not right, and God says, this is it. This is what you need to put on the altar tonight. But then Satan's right there and the flesh is right there that says, well, that really doesn't matter. What's that going to help? You've got all these other problems. How's that going to make any difference? Or, you know, you've done this so long, changing, it's too late for you to change. And, and there's this battle in the mind. And all of us, I hope all of us know what I'm talking about. Because if it's a one-sided battle, you've got a problem there, right? There are, it needs to always be a two-sided battle because... The flesh is with us at all times. There's always going to be a fleshly uh, pull or sway upon our lives. Therefore, we need the Spirit's guidance. So how do we control the mind? First of all, we control what we put into it. Part of this comes down to just decision-making. We choose not to put certain things into our minds. And instead... We choose what we do put into our mind. The word of God ought to be something consistently put into our mind. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There's a, a cleansing or a sanctification that comes directly through the word of God. But as we, as the, the word of God commands us, we abstain from appearances of evil. We, we avoid things that we know aren't good and aren't wholesome. And we begin to feed the mind righteousness and hope and good things and that which is to the use of edifying. We've given ourselves to God. We've then begun to purify and sanctify our minds. And we find this transformation that he wants to bring about in our lives. And then finally he says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? There is a good will of God for your life. God's will is good. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's not even fun, but it's good. And there's an acceptable, something that's acceptable to him. It's acceptable in God's eyes. And God knows best. We, we read back here in, in chapter number 11, verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? It may not be acceptable in your eyes, but it's acceptable to him. And ultimately, remember, the desire is to glorify him. And then he says, he calls it the perfect will of God. Perfect, complete, all that it should be. God has a perfect will of God for your life tonight. And often we preach this message to young people, and rightly so. But if you're still alive tonight, and I think everyone here is, God's got a reason for you to be here. I've convinced myself of that. Because I tell it to folks every week in the nursing home who are fastened to wheelchairs. And I remind them, God's got something for you. 
I just read in Hebrews, or maybe we just read a moment ago. I think we did just read a minute ago, where he says, uh, how, much, how much worse would it be for you, um, if, you if you fail to trust in this, this change that he made in you? Back here in uh, Romans chapter 11, he said, if God removed Israel, what's going to happen to you if you fail to follow after truth and, and, and forget to believe him? I, it was Hebrews that I was thinking of where he says, um, you know, if, if those were punished before grace, how much more if you refuse so great a salvation? For those who God has given a mind and a body and health and life, he's given us as citizens of this great land prosperity access, opportunity. He's given us freedoms. He's given us his word in abundance. How could we refuse to give him ourselves? Because in this day we're living, God has something for us all to be doing. What a shame and what a pity it would be for us to enter into eternity and realize that though we received Christ, we, we received his grace, we took advantage of his blood that was shed, we failed to give him glory with our life, and we only found a sample of his goodness and of his will. It's will his will for all of us is to be saved, and if you're here tonight, You've started down that path, but let's not get off the path. If you've strayed from that path, this would be a wonderful night for you to just rededicate yourself to him. Maybe God's spoken to your heart about something specific. He's worthy. Don't change things for me. Don't change things for anyone in this room. I'm not worthy, but he's worthy. He's done all he could for you. And he's done more than you even know. One day I think we'll understand fully the great sacrifice that he made for us. May we be willing to now give ourselves back to him as our, his, the reasonable service as a living sacrifice that we might understand his will for our lives.